Here at Mountain Dew, we'd like to remind you, you gotta know what's important and what's not important. Knowing how to tie a tie, not important. Keeping a diary, not important. Trying all the different bold flavors of Mountain Dew, important. Experience the boldest flavors on earth. Do the Dew. Are you ready to learn the business skills you need to accelerate your career? The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business is now offering its highly ranked working professional MBA entirely online. Whether you choose to attend on campus, online, or a mix of both, you're in control, balancing the demands on your busy schedule. Don't wait. Start your personalized MBA journey this fall. Visit go.osu.edu slash WPMBA to learn more and apply. The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, where Principled leaders are created. Welcome back to the Razball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. And believe it or not, Lance is back in the saddle. He's riding in the big chair with me again today. Lance, welcome back to the show. You have been a world traveler. You've seen <laughs> baseball in all seven continents. And you've returned to share your riches with us. So what riches have you uncovered from the Far East? <laughs> west, I think. Far west, maybe. I don't know. It's My so, first time in so Arizona. Far east, it's west. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. If you go east enough, you'll eventually be west. Unless <laughs> the world is flat. Unless it's flat, Kyrie Irving. Shout out. <laughs> uh, no, it was, it was good, man. I was out in Arizona for a little bit and then I went up to DC. So I was kind of, yeah, last two weeks have been a little bit busy for me, but I'm kind of finally getting back into the flow. Watched a lot of baseball this weekend, which is a lot of fun. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners and you did as well. I know we were just talk, kind of talking off air at all today about. Chris Pack and a couple other guys we will get into in today's show. But um, yeah, Amer- my Arizona was fun, man. It was a lot of reporting and major league reporting and stuff. Uh, really good conversations with Chris Paddock and Matt Strom and a couple other guys. And uh, yeah, fun, fun stuff, really. It was, it was a great time. And I really enjoyed the minor league backfields. I think I, you know, I feel like in situations like that where you've never been somewhere, you look back and know you should have done things maybe slightly differently. And I feel like I probably should have gone to more minor league games, which started up like the second day I was there. But I think I missed the first day or two of minor league games to uh, to catch some of the major league, major league spring training. And now if I ever go back, I have a feeling I'm probably just going to stay on the backfields the whole time because major league games are fun for to some extent. You know, I caught Dustin May, which was kind of cool. I um, nice. didn't really expect to see him, and I, I was really impressed with what I saw. Um, I think he's a severely underrated prospect presently. A lot of, lot, a lot of sync, beautiful combo of swing and miss ground ball, which I think is really, really hard to do, and very few guys do that well. And his slider is an absolute wiffle ball. So, uh yeah, I, I was super impressed by him. I think he's probably the one takeaway I had that I, I came away with that I was very, very impressed with. And then otherwise, you know, a lot of guys I caught up on. I got, got some more Gabriel Arias looks, changed up his swing a little bit. He looks pretty good. Tirso Anelas is finally healthy and hitting. 
Um, Xavier Edwards, to compete Marcano, too. I'm still waiting for that Fort Wayne roster to be announced. It looks like that'll come out tomorrow on Monday. So by the time you're listening to this, you probably can hop online and check it out. Um, but yeah, it was great. Um, just really a lot of guys and a lot of mix of guys that was fun to kind of catch up and see. And uh, Arizona was great. So I had a great time. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. I have my own uh, baseball adventures sort of coming up, really kicking off this week with NC State coming into town. I had caught Clemson uh, a week ago. Noah's song was uh, for not. Unfortunately, the Saturday game uh, at Holy Cross was postponed until Monday. And uh, Noah's song went on Sunday against Army. I wonder if that was deliberate uh, and probably might have happened even if the Holy Cross game had happened on Saturday. It is Army-Navy, so I would imagine they're going to have Thong out there uh, doing his thing. So unfortunately, I missed him. I did catch Logan Davidson, did get uh, sort of a second round of looks. I caught him a couple times down the Cape, was not impressed. I think I've sort of beat that drum. I saw a different guy uh, when he was here at BC. It was, you know, sort of an interesting game. Uh, We got some good weather. Uh, It's actually not, not been too bad over the last week or so. But um, let me just sort of pull up my notes here. Sure, but sure. I will say just just for um, Logan Davidson, uh, you know, the bats were much better. I think one of the things that I noticed is I had saw him against predominantly lefties down the Cape and he's a switch hitter and his right handed uh, swing and sort of approach is just uh, pretty far behind the left handed side. It must be his natural side because he mashed uh, on the righty. And this right, this kid was a freshman um, from San Diego. I want to I want to pull up um, exactly what the kid's name was. Um, was a freshman from BC. He was sitting like ninety ninety one, mm-hmm. to like ninety three. Touched ninety four a couple of times. Had some uh, some decent glove side runs. So he was kind of difficult on lefties. He was able to go sort of back foot. Uh, had a breaking ball in like the like the mid to upper seventies, um, and he was really good. I mean, he went. I got into the seventh inning or got out of the seventh inning. Um, kid's name was Mason uh, Pelio. P E L I O. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, big guy, like he's listed at six, four. We weren't so sure he was six, four. Maybe he's more like six, two, but he's pretty sturdy. Um, like I said, fastball, curveball. there might've been a changeup that he mixed in once or twice, but it was predominantly fastball. I had the radar as the first time I could try out the pocket radar. I ended up hey. buying, uh, I'm you cheap. Like so I, I didn't, I didn't go and get the stalker. Efficient. But I, I prefer efficient. Got. Yeah, it is. It is pretty efficient. Um, the camera didn't come in though. So unfortunately, I used uh, like a second rate like camera we had kicking around and it was like Bigfoot photos. So uh, <laughs> I don't use it for the site. I didn't use it for anything, unfortunately. And uh, it was a few days before I upgraded my phone. So now I have the big phone with a massive memory. I went with. Hey, hey, there you go. Yeah. So I can <laughs> I can probably like record an entire game there. I figure I can get the open face there. The camera came in. It's about the size of my hand. Now it's a it's a, a pretty nice almost like a GoPro from from Sony. Um, everything projects on my phone. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. So unfortunately I, I, I missed, uh, Mason Pelio. Maybe I'll catch him this weekend against NC state. But like I said, he went six and two thirds, only gave up four hits. I uh, had five walks. So there was quite a, quite a bit of control issues. Um, but you know, not, not too bad, not too bad. I uh, did get eight, eight strikeouts. 
it was funny. I had a guy that came in right after that um, pitcher that came in righty by the name of Sean Hughes. And I had the radar gun. And I guess these kids from BC behind me must have known that this kid, you know, just through gas. So this kid came in through nothing but like five straight fastballs. Um, ended up getting a strikeout to end the inning on a 96 mile per hour fastball. And when he got 96 and it hit on the gun screen, because these dudes were like three rows behind me and they must be able to see me with me holding it out. Oh man, like the entire crowd went nuts. It was, it was actually, oh, wow. yeah, it was a blast. 96 but, in the Northeast in the cold or semi cold, yeah, so, probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was 50 degrees, you yeah, know. So, um, he looked really good. Uh, like I said, Davidson looked good. Really professional batsman. Two for four. Went the other way in the shift once. Put a ball over the shift the other time. Grounded into the shift one time. And then he popped out with the bases loaded. So, uh, and he had a walk. So, in the five at-bats that I saw, I mean, he, you know, he got on base three times. Went the other way. Showed, you know, showed a little bit of pop being able to go over the shift. Um, but I have to say, the guy that I was most impressed with was this uh, right fielder, Bo Majowski. Um, I want to pull him Pollock? up. On SKI on the last name. Yeah, there yeah, exactly. Um, it, you know, it was funny. Um, he made an unbelievable catch that I had uh, actually tweeted out. If you go and you check out uh, my Twitter, Prospect Jesus, you'll see some of my videos there. And if you look in the outfield, this kid made a diving stop uh, on a ball that probably would have been a double. It was a pretty deep ball to the gap. Uh, between right center and he came up uh, over uh, Bryce uh, Tedesco. Or I'll make sure I double check the, the name right now. I think it's Tedesco. Um, he's like a 2020 kid. Oh, uh, Teodosio, Teodosio, Bryce okay. Teodosio. Um, he had a really, really attractive either girlfriend or sister or something. And I kind of <laughs> like to it. Um, That's advanced. <laughs> he's County. a center fielder. He's actually, you know, considered a, a, a relatively like you know one fifth top 150 college guy. Uh, for 2020. So he's an interesting guy. Um, but this sophomore, uh, Majkowski, I, I, you know, I don't think he's drafted eligible for 2019. I think he's a 2020 guy. I have to check with Anthony Franco on that. He's much better with who's draft eligible and who isn't. Same thing with Kyler. Um, but he's 20. He hit really well. He, you know, he doesn't hit necessarily for power, but he did. I did catch a ball that was 103 miles per hour off the bat. Wow. Uh, they knocked up the middle. Um, so it's more gap power right now. It's a linear, a more of a linear swing. Um, you know, so he's, he's more of a line drive hitter. He's going to go gap to gap. He's got a little bit of speed, but he's good in the outfield. And he's just a hustler takes really, really good at bats. He's thrash. He's actually yeah, slashing 326, 508, 465. So you can see, like I said, the power is not necessarily going to jump off the charts right now, but he was one of the more interesting takes, uh, that I had that weekend. I also caught, um, Oh, uh, I think it was Keyshawn Askew. Oh man, um, let me look up his first name. I don't want to. I don't want to butcher it. Of course, I'm I'm super prepared for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> it is it is Keyshawn Askew. So Keyshawn Askew, um, six three, uh, really real thin, like not not real, more like a young Justin Dunn kind of a build. You know, athletic, high butt. You know. <laughs> If you know what I mean, not, not like a, a, a Tristan McKenzie sticks kind of a build. He is pretty thin though. Um, he's a lefty sidearm delivery almost. I mean, really low three quarters. It's almost sidearm, uh, almost a little Chris sale esque in terms of, uh, where their arm, arm slot is. Uh, but he was sitting like 86 to like 88 on the fastball, but he had some run, 
nasty slider mixed in, I think a curveball or a changeup. I couldn't quite tell, you know, sometimes with the, with the break on those, uh, if it's, if it's not real hard, you're not really sure if it's a, if it's a curveball or maybe like a knuckle change or something like that. Um, but it was an interesting pitch. I thought, uh, he wasn't too bad either. Obviously, um, you know, unlike, uh, Mason, uh, Pelio, Pelio obviously had a much tougher assignment going against that Clemson lineup. Um, the other BC guy that I caught that I think is considered a draft guy is uh, Chris Galland, uh, G-A-L-L-A-N-D. He went two for three with a couple of singles. He's a left fielder, uh, kind of flat-footed out in the uh, in, in the corner outfield. I don't know. I mean, he just seems like he's going to be more like a, a guy that bounces around the minor leagues for a few years, maybe his triple-A. Um, that's not a knock on him. You know, maybe, maybe he does uh, figure a couple things out once he gets into a major league system, but I don't think he's anything, uh, like Chris Shaw or something like that. He's not a first rounder that's coming out of this, uh, this squad, maybe like a seventh, eighth round kind of a guy, maybe a little bit later. But, uh, other than that, yeah, those are the interesting guys. I saw Clemson at NC state this weekend. So we're going to get to see Will Wilson, Patrick Bailey, um, amongst others. There's a few different arms. Actually, they're in, inside. I think the, the top one fifty. Um, going for NC State, I got to check with the charts. And there's that that uh, that kid from the Czech Republic whose name I'm not going to uh, attempt to butcher <laughs> at the moment. But you can go and check their roster. His name will stick out because it's very Czech. Um, <laughs> so I'll uh, I'll catch them this weekend. I get to try out my system for the first time with with a new camera uh, and a gun, being able to sort of log stuff. And yeah, man, you know, then it'll be all systems go once I'm down in Florida. We'll talk about uh, Lakeland. I'm definitely going to catch Lakeland when I'm down in Florida. Cool. Uh, Casey Mize is on that team. We'll talk a little bit about that when we get to assignments a little bit later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anything? Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Um, just you know, potpourri here, grab bag, anything before maybe we talk a little Chris Paddock. I say we go into Paddock. Yeah. Yeah. So we obviously have baseball now, and Paddock debuted on Sunday. Um, I don't actually have his line in front of me, but I can pull that up pretty quickly. But you know, I have take, it in front of me right now. Takeaways, I think, were pretty good overall. He was perfect through about three, I think. Um, what was the final line, Ralph? Yeah, final line, five innings, 79 pitches, 57 for strikes, nine swinging strikes, two hits, a walk, seven strikeouts, three ground outs, two fly outs, and two pop outs. Your boy logged the entire game. 49 fastballs. The fastball was sitting 92 to 94, mostly touched 95 a couple times, 96 on a handful of occasions when he ramped it up high in the zone. 25 changeups. That was by far his most effective secondary. That's at 82 to 84 with really nasty, as Lance would put it, Bugs Bunny break in the zone. <laughs> and then he dropped a couple curveballs in. The first curveball we threw in the, uh, the, the second inning, uh, he really lost sort of control of the grip. That's I think slipped. we were overthinking a little bit. And it slipped the next four. Um, he popped in early in the count and a, a couple of them and then dropped, uh, excuse me, one of them and then dropped, uh, excuse me, two of them, excuse me, two of them early in the count and then dropped a couple later in the count to Pablo Sandoval. The first one, um, I believe he got either, uh, I think he got a look and strike on. And then the second one was a pretty good pitch that dropped out of the zone. It was actually a decent curveball, but because Pablo Sandoval is actually a pretty good bad ball hitter he was able to go out there and sort of get it and push the ball almost almost out of the park it was pretty deep uh, out there the outfield i don't know if me margot might have uh, misplayed it a little bit it seemed like he uh was caught a little flat-footed out there foot turned up but either way that was the only hard hit ball off of uh paddock all day he had one sort of lazy fly ball but other than that i mean i think there were in total here let's see 
five balls in play and then a couple of flyouts. Yeah, I felt like two two of my takeaways. One, and I realize this every season, but I always feel like I kind of forget it. And I, I realized it and it confirmed it when I was watching Paddock is like change of dominant pitchers um, seem to have like runs within games where they have their feel on their pitch and it really like excels and they get a ton of swinging strikes really quickly. And I think that nine of, he had nine swinging strikes. I feel like I want to say like six of those came in a matter of like five batters, you know, like it was definitely like there was a section in that game where he just, his changeup was just unhittable. It was like Tapara and like Crawford, I think, or something. Um, it's just, it, it, the pitch just turned into a plus plus pitch and it was just insane. And then, you know, beginning of the start, he was obviously a little fastball dominant. So you didn't really get too much of that change up. And then later in the start, I noticed that the change up, they couldn't barrel it, the giants, but there was a lot of contact off it. And I think that this is obviously the product of just purely seeing it pitch three times. When you see it around that third time, or even like that second time, late second time, you start to kind of just get a better understanding of it. And this is why that curveball that, I mean, looked fine for the most part. He slipped it a couple times. Didn't really show as a great pitcher, a poor pitch. He's just kind of neutral because he didn't, we didn't really get too good of a look at it. But this is why that third pitch is so important for him, especially to right-handed hitters. And I know he can throw a right-right changeups, and he's not a problem with that at all. But yeah, those are my, I think my two biggest takeaways is I feel like he's not going to be a streaky pitcher. Like I think he's going to be a very good, well above average pitcher, mm -hmm. but he's, I think he's definitely going to have game uh, points within a game where he's a little streakier with certain pitches. And that's okay. Like, it's a feel pitch. I mean, he's either going to come out with the feel or he's going to have to find it within the game. And, you know, if he has exceptional feel, and I, I think he absolutely does because this changeup is clearly yeah. going to grade as one of the better, better ones in baseball. Um, you're just going to get a kind of a, a flow of the game. I feel like he's going to have a very standard flow to every one of his games. So that was kind of my biggest takeaway, I think, was the biggest thing. But I loved what I saw, man. He looked really good. The command was fantastic. Yeah, and I think Crawford was the only one that really barreled up a changeup. Um, and he sort of pulled it, uh, and he had gotten eaten up by it even earlier in that bat. I think he had gotten a swing and strike against it and he went back to it. Uh, and he was able to sort of catch it, but you know, the movement on that is almost like knuckleballish in some ways that it dances a little bit after it drops. So, yeah, yeah. um, it's a tough pitch to pick up. And I'll say that one of the things I noticed was I thought he, you know, his command waned the second time through the order in the fourth and fifth inning with a fastball a little bit. Uh, he was missing a lot uh, to the to um, uh, to the arm side, especially on the outside, the lefties. Um, seems like he was trying to get cute, trying to get some guys to sort of change uh, chase out there. Had a couple of pitches right around the zone too with that fastball where he got pinched. Um, I thought for the most part, though, he really located the changeup better than anything. The fastball command in the first two, three innings was stellar, but I thought it definitely dropped off a little bit in the fourth, fifth inning. And I don't know if that was him also trying to expand the zone a little bit and see if he can get some guys to chase on some fastballs outside once he had that uh, changeup working because he sort of started to work it in uh, in that second inning and then went heavy with it in the third and then same thing in the fourth and the fifth, you sort of saw him uh, unleash the third pitch a little bit more. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I like the sequencing. I sort of like the game plan. Of course, you know, the Giants are about the worst lineup there is uh, in the major yeah, league. There aren't too many worse. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, like I said, I think that um, the guys that did damage and the things that they did, uh, you know, the, the, the change up that, that Crawford turned on and then that bad ball curveball that, uh, Sandoval was able to hit it's kind of what those guys kind of do so it, it you know it's not it's not a, a a total shock either that you know those are the pitches that those those guys hit in particular it's going to happen it's major league hitters still mm -hmm. um but 
for the most part, it looked really good. I mean, he cruised the first few innings. He was very efficient. Um, even those bad innings, I think he had like 19 pitches in the in the fifth and maybe 24 in the fourth after being, uh, I think, 12, 13, 12. So mm-hmm. uh, he was, he, you know, overall really, really good. Um, and, you know, he certainly could have come out for the six if they needed him to. You know, if they go 80, 80 pitches, five innings for him throughout the first, like, month or two of the season, it might drive you a little crazy in your fantasy league, especially if you're playing points and you got, you know, quality starts or quality starts as a category in your 5 by 5 or 6 by 6 or something. Um, then, yeah, that might drive you a little crazy. But I think the ratio plays are going to be good enough. The Ks are going to be good enough. Might get you some wins. Um, let's see. You know, Padres coming out of the series 3 and 4. Uh, pretty exciting as a, as a newborn, new-baptized Padre <laughs> From world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more. Wish the headlines would just stop? It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you're not alone. You may not know it, but support is out there, just waiting to meet you. And you can find it through the friendly people at Church's Care. At Church's Care, we know that finding your community can feel intimidating. That's why we do the heavy lifting for you. Churches Care helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you. In your new community, you'll find a group of people ready to talk, listen, and help you navigate life through its twists and turns. All you have to do is come as you are. If you're ready to find your community, visit churchescare.com today. That's churchescare.com. C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S care.com. We look forward to serving you identified, developed, and improved over the course of 50 years in one of the industry's most advanced breeding programs, Stein's unique corn lines provide stronger protection and higher yielding performance year after year. Discover yield plus choice at steinseed.com. Yeah, I mean, they look pretty good this weekend overall. I think that I think that one of the biggest takeaways, and I don't mean to kind of hang too much of the major leagues here, but some of, some of these poor teams actually have decent pitching staffs, and I'm talking specifically, I mean, I don't think the Padres are a poor team, but they're one that I think was maybe looked down on a little bit until the Machado signing. Their rotation is fun. Like, Strom is throwing Monday. I'm really excited to see him. Otherwise, like, it's a fun rotation. I think the same thing applies to some of the uh, youngsters, and this would be a good segue into Sandy Alcantara, but specifically on the Marlins, um, Papa Lopez and Trevor Richards both, I thought, looked pr- pretty decent, or at least had really good takeaway points that I actually think can win some games for the Marlins, which... I didn't really expect. <laughs> I think we were all busy hating on teams like the Orioles that we forgot to realize that uh, the Marlins are actually pretty good from a rotation standpoint. Um, yeah, so yeah. I guess that, that brings us to Alcantara, who I went about eight innings today. I think I didn't get a chance to look at the start off, but you said you had some thoughts. So I was interested in those. Yeah, I saw the first two innings, and I think I saw the last two innings. So I missed the half the start. I missed the middle of the start. Um, but if you want to say, I was impressed by his sequencing, the way he used this curveball. Curveball was actually landing for strikes, was you know mixing mission in the off-speed pitch as well, landing that. Fastball was almost pinpoint, was working up in the zone, was getting some swinging strikes. Went eight scoreless innings on just 92 pitches. It took some notes on this start as well. Um, I think it was probably the standout of the day of any starter in the majors, certainly among, among all the rookie starters between Burns, Corbin Burns that went today, as well as Kyle Wright. So there were a lot of sort of prospect guys. We had uh, uh, Mick Marge uh, Vicious that went uh, last night. I attempted it. I said Marge Vicious. I think I actually said it correctly. Um, but Alcantara was the guy that stuck out the most. He actually one of my favorite stats from the start. He threw 17 first pitch strikes to the seven, 27 batters faced. So he's getting ahead early in counts. And I think, you know, by doing that, that was able to sort of 
let him, you know, control the bat and get guys in there, you know, especially if he, he steals that second strike with a fastball, which we know is pretty good. Uh, then he can sort of land that curveball, mixing the change up. Um, you know, 14 in a row, he actually sat down at one point. So he had really gotten going as well. Um, wow. I mean, he looked like a potential hidden jewel this week, especially if you were ballsy enough to start him in a fantasy league. I think I have like two dynasty leagues that are super deep, like 20 teams, mm-hmm. 30 teams where I have Alcantara and he was starting. But other than that, I, you know, pretty much stayed away from him. I think I took him in TGFBI and then dropped him uh, for somebody else along the way. Uh, maybe Pinder or something last week because they needed some help after losing Matt Olson on like every single freaking team. Um, <laughs> but regardless, I thought Alcantara was probably the standout of the day. Um, he actually went after, he got Garrett Hampson in the last at bat. Hampson got ahead, uh, I think, 03 on him maybe, and then, or, or at least 2 0. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alcantara battled back, a couple of swinging strikes, got a couple of foul offs. And then uh, went right after him with a fastball high up on ha- uh, Hampson's hands, and he got the swing and strike to end to end the uh, end the inning. And I think one of the things that was most impressive that I think I stuck out to me probably the most of anything actually was the pace at which Alcantara threw. He was just really? like catching and throwing, like one oh, right on top of it. Paddock was pretty similar. Paddock was, was yeah. You know, Paddock works quick. Very very aggressive um, in terms of his pace. Alcantara's was even more accelerated than that. I mean, wow, he was wow. getting the ball and just like dealing. And I think it was keeping these guys really off balance, uh, especially with, you know, how he sequenced his breaking ball earlier in counts, you know, landing the change up. And then it was just dangerous. I was just hitting all of his spots and, you know, all four quadrants and even the paint in the corners with that fastball at 97, 96, sometimes 98. So, um, yeah, if this is the Sandy Alcantara, we're going to see this season, Watch out! The Marlins might actually have gotten the better of the Ozuna deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Ozuna's arm is perpetually terrible, and that is something that is very visible whenever you watch a Cardinal game. So, uh, yeah, you know, I guess you never know. I mean, uh, very interested to see the development of Alcantara. And I think we—I know we talked about this in the past with Alcantara specifically, but I still stand by the fact that him going to the Marlins was one of the best things that could have happened to him, just because they had the, they had the availability to just let him roll in the rotation. You know what I mean? The Cardinals just don't have that luxury with the amount of depth they have. There's just guys better there. And I always thought for him personally, you know, there was definitely a chance that that move turned out being, you know, one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest steps in his career, or just turning points in his career from a productive, productiveness uh, aspect. But um, Corbin Burns, you mentioned very briefly there, he had, I think, 12 strikeouts in five innings. And yeah. I think about 18 strike, uh, swinging strikes between his fastball and slider combined, if I remember correctly, which was insane. Like the slider is a hard pitch. Um, conducive to a little more whiffs than one would expect kind of from a pitch with that small differential between slider velocity and fastball velocity, but that pitch is exceptional, really high spin rate. This was one of the reasons why a lot of people targeted him, targeted him specifically late in their drafts, but he did give up three home runs, so it's yeah, kind of a wonky outing. You know, he's one of those, like, the swinging strikes are there, the strikeouts are there, but from a FIP standpoint, it doesn't look good, but from an ex fifth standpoint, it probably looks really good. Cause I'm sure that the home run rate was a little bit higher than it should have been. So yeah. there's a lot, a lot of different ways to look at this outing, but where do you see him going forward? Do you think that he's legitimately, you know, a top 30, 40 guy, or do you think he's kind of outside of that and maybe has one off starts where he keys 16 and then starts where he gives up five home runs? Yeah. I mean, he may have a little Robbie Ray in him, you yeah, know, that's what I was thinking. Honestly, yeah. watching that today, he was dominant through the first three innings. I think he struck out nine to the first three. Jeez. I remember this one at bat where he was working to Goldie 
And uh, he dropped in three straight sliders. The first two he got swinging strikes on. The second, the third one, um, or might have stole one in the first pitch, and then second one got a swinging strike. Third slider he threw to him, fouled him out, and then he threw a 97 mile per hour fastball up in the zone with cut, and he got a swinging strike from Goldie. It was like, oh my god! It was the second time he struck out Goldie at that point too. Mm-hmm. Of course, Goldie came back, figured him out, adjusted, and got his homer, got his dongzo. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess the the issue with Burns is just, you know, is he going to be, I think somebody put it this way on Twitter, well, I can't take credit for this, but he, he referred to him as a three-outcome pitcher. Yeah, like, it was walk, walk, strikeout, or homer. I like that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, he might be. Like, I don't think the control will be bad, but he'll probably walk, you know, two, three, four batters every so often, depending upon how deep he goes, you know, seven any start, maybe walks four. But mostly, like, three I would say, you know, two or three to start. You're definitely going to see him put some guys on base from time to time. Um, stuff is nasty. That that fastball is just grotesque. Tons of spin. It has natural cutting, uh, you know, movement. Mm-hmm. Cuts in on, on lefties and away from righties. Um, and then he mixed that with a slider. And the, as you said, the velocity dropped down. It also has like a show me sort of change up and, and curveball. But really that, that two-pitch mix right there is nasty enough that um you know if he's able to sort of harness it a little bit or figure out i guess maybe <laughs> how to miss barrels <laughs> yeah um with more consistency i mean because it's funny to say that because he does obviously miss bats but when he gets hit he gets hit hard and i think that's what likens him at least in my mind and that's the correlation i made while watching the start this you know i watched four innings this afternoon and uh I think it was like that was a Robbie Ray connection. It was like he can look brilliant and unhittable, or he's going to get barreled somehow, some way. You're like, no one can hit this guy. And then you're like, this guy is getting mashed on everything. And it's probably just his control of command. You know, it's just he doesn't command it quite well enough that sometimes it bleeds up in the zone or something, doesn't hit his spot, and, you know, ends up over the plate. So, that happens even to the best of them. That's one of those things. There's going to be a learning curve with that sort of stuff. Uh, with a major league strike strike zone and, and everything else. I know Burns has had, uh, I know he's a st- technically not a rookie because he's been on the major league roster long enough in 2018. But mm-hmm. I think for all intents and purposes, he's sort of a rookie starter based on actual experience at the major league level. So yeah, he was, he was uh, interesting, but you know, there's going to be growing pains with all these guys. I think Paddock included certainly Sally, Sandy Alcantara. All these guys could look bad next start out, and it wouldn't shock me. Uh, yeah, I can definitely concur with that. So it'll be very interesting, I think, to see going forward what happens. Uh, and Mark Vicious, I think it's Mark Govicious. I just looked at baseball reference, actually. I guess you like enunciate on the G-A-H there, the G-whatever. So Mark Govicious. Um he topped out at 90, which isn't really great, but that curveball we were talking a little, about, a little bit about this off air too, I believe, yeah. has just so much depth, and there's like speed variations on it, and it's one of those pitches where it's just like really unique, and I feel like now they have Lucchese with that weird churve, and now they have Mar- Margavicious with this freaking Rich Hill style curveball that is just like so unique, and I don't know where I see Margavicious long Paddock changeup, yeah. I don't. I don't know if I'm. I'm the biggest fan of Margavicious long term. I think that there's a good chance he falls out of the rotation if I had to predict. But um, for now, I mean, it's a good start. You know, I think that he's probably the quick, quickest man to go um, when they maybe send Keuchel finally some money or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. uh, I don't know. Logan Allen too. I think is a little bit better of a pitch repertoire than um, and upside, honestly, from a fantasy perspective than Margavicious. But um, he was fun. He was fun to watch. 
And uh, yeah, for prospects, you know, it caught right a little bit today. Tonight, Sunday, we were watching. Uh, not a lot of command there. It seemed like it was pretty cold in Philly, so that could have been an effect. But um, yeah, he stumbled through four innings, I think, four and a third. And then some of those some of those runs were relinquished by Max Freed. Um, four walks, four strikeouts, or four walks, five strikeouts. Two of those went on to Udabel Herrera, who was swinging at everything. Um, three of those walks, I think, came in a row, too. So it's just a weird, weird start for him. Um, and they have a lot of pieces eventually coming back into the rotation, it seems, between Fultonevich and I think... Um, Oh, Minter, I'm thinking of. But anyways, Fulton Avich. So it seems like maybe there's a path for him to fall Gaussman, out of rotation. maybe, yeah. Yeah, Gossman, that's the other one. Um, so there's a chance he falls out, which I wouldn't be really surprised about. But um, yeah, interesting. You know, I mean, slider curveball, two, two breaking ball guy from the right side. It's, I mean, Bandy kid. So I feel like at some point he's obviously going to get an opportunity, but um, maybe not right now. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm still kind of a fan of, of right. I think, you know, that Philly, <clears throat> that's a tough place to pitch. It's a tough time of the year to pitch there against a really tough lineup that's very energized yeah, crazy lineup. You know, that, that might be the best lineup of baseball when it's all said and done they might approach some, they might approach some 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 record scoring uh numbers for the national league maybe for the overall mm-hmm. uh you know i don't know you know if they're going to approach some of these teams like the red sox years ago that set records with like the dh um just because of the nature of it you know when you have a dh like david ortiz and all the other guys that were in, in those lineups and i'm talking like i think like 2000 2008, 2007, 2008, one of those teams, you know, scored like whatever the record number of runs was. I might be wrong. Somebody probably beat it since then. I haven't looked at those record books. But other guys <laughs> that debuted, I thought we should probably mention. Sure. Peter Alonzo looks tremendous. Yes. Um, he's had a lot of very balls. Hard. You know, even hit, hit a breaking ball. I saw you sort of sort of uh, troll everyone a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, can't hit a breaking ball. And you, we saw that. Even myself, oh, I think I was trolling. You are. <laughs> Yeah, and we saw the same thing from Eloy. People were really attacking him with breaking balls, and uh, he hit one up the middle, uh, I think on Saturday, that was really nice. Didn't catch a lot of Ricky uh, Richie Martin, but I know that he debuted as well. And then Fernando Tatis Jr., we know he got into a big pissing match on Twitter. Apologies to everybody that uh, dealt with that. Just wanted to say something on Fernando Tatis Jr. Besides that, I love the player. Um, mm-hmm. He's looked good. He's looked bad. He's looked like a rookie. He's looked like he'd be a superstar. Yeah, All in a matter of three games, four games. So... Um, I don't know what what does an unbiased opinion have to say. I mean, I think he's there's going to be some swing and miss in the in his game, but for the most part, the strikeouts have been on some good pitches and in his hands. There was one today like that. Uh, he was he ex- was expanding the zone a little bit on Saturday when he struck out, but um, you know, I figure some of that some of that stuff. You know, we know he's not great in April. I figure there's going to be an adjustment period if he's up for the entirety of the season and plays 140 to 150 plus games. Um, I'd say the the last 70 or 80 of those are going to be above average production. And I think that's where he's going to make his value this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that it's honestly a thing where it's just development, you know, like this is a huge stage. Like I honestly wouldn't be shocked if he gets kicked back down to uh, whatever level um, down to triple A or something like that after a bit and then comes back up, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, but he's looked fine. I mean, he's had some, uh-huh. he's had a, he, that double he had the other night off the wall was really impressive. The first couple of games were super impressive. And then as you said, he had some other instances where it just didn't really look like he was taking major league at paths. So it's he's a great place. field. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, his range is unbelievable for his size. He's fluid. He's, He's really good. He had a really nice uh, like spin tag today, which is just this baseball instinct side of things. The IQ of him in the field is just insane. But I don't go, think he's going down. I don't. I'm interested to see if he struggles enough. I think they're gonna have to. But that that I think will coincide somehow with like an Urias being ready. 
but I, they, they got a lot of decisions to make, man. I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine if, if Tatis gets in a slump that they'll keep him up there and tolerate him for long. Maybe they just bench him. Maybe that, that's know. a possibility too, but I guess they probably more than anything want him to get him regular at-bats. But I did want to go back quickly to this Eloy point you made about the sliders. This is Matt Thompson of Prospects Live mentioned this, and I actually hopped to Baseball Savant and looked. Uh, not only is he seeing breaking balls, he is seeing an insane amount of breaking balls. 75% of the pitches he's seen have been sliders this season. It's 27 of the 36. And this is not counting Sunday, so I'm interested to see if it changes at all. But yeah, that is a lot of sliders and a lot of breaking balls. I, I like almost can't even believe it. Honestly, I need obviously this is a small sample. I have to look back at kind of who these pitchers were if they're slider dominant pitchers, but the book is sliders and he's getting a lot of sliders. Um, and you think like a guy like Alonzo would probably get a similar effect, but Alonzo's almost been 50% fastball and then uh, he's about like 26% slider, so or 26% breaking ball between curveball and slider. So interesting, something I think to keep an eye on for sure. It seems like a weird, weird, weird anomaly. I can't imagine there's too many other guys in baseball. Um, who are getting 75% sliders. So if they're not located, like, sure, maybe his, his OBP goes through the roof. But uh, otherwise, he's going to start to have to maybe start focusing on right center, learn a little from, like, a Miggy style, you know, or Jose Abreu or something like that. Always been a good all-fields hitter. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That just blew my mind. So hat tip to Matt Thompson there. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. But, you know, they're going to have to do something to attack this guy. And it's a blast to have all these prospects yeah, that's the biggest thing that we can talk about. There's excitement there to watch these guys, people on Twitter, you know, on web pages, wherever else, man, they're talking about them. And uh, I don't know. It's fun for me because I feel like this is one of the first full groups of prospects where I've kind of covered them from when they were first signed, first came on to sort of the the underground consciousness of this prospect thing that we do and this little niche. And, you know, we've seen them sort of have the trials and tribulations and triumphs throughout their, their minor league stays. And now all these guys are up in the major league level. Victor Robles is another one that I think had a homer today. He's looked really good. Um, you know, this is a, this is a good group of talent, uh, another good year of players. And, um, yeah, I'm, it just, uh, energizes me man to keep on doing the stuff that we're doing i'm getting all hippy touchy feely here <laughs> want to end this right now and let's uh let's jump into a uh, maybe a little bit of talk on uh some teams and where assignments went etc yeah. etc et yeah obviously we want to we want to focus on obviously the minor leagues which we're going to do all this season and such but yeah we were so there's been a lot of assignments released this weekend obviously we've been following these via the mild site for the specific team which seems to be the most reliable um and also some just posts on twitter i've seen going around from guys who are in certain locations and also from teams and other people who follow the minor leagues and stuff, posting stuff. So, uh, so I, for the most part, these rosters seem to be set, but there are some teams, particularly in lower levels that seem to have not released the rosters, even though the players are actually, I believe already flown out to the specific locations as opening day is Thursday for most minor league teams, I believe. So, uh, um, yeah, we're still kind of, kind of getting them coming in, I guess you could say, especially in the Midwest league, some of the lower level ones that, excuse me, I have been looking at specifically, obviously because I'm out in Chicago area, so looking at a lot of the Midwest League folks. But um, but yeah, um, some of the specific ones I think we wanted to point to was just, it's going through them generally. Um, Wilmington Blue Rocks, which is the Royals high squad, looks like it's absolutely loaded. They have MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, Suli Matias, um, Chris Bubik, Brady Singer, um, Daniel Lynch, I want to say, and I'm probably missing someone else. This is basically almost a carryover from that Lexington Legends team. 
Um, but it seems like all those pitchers that they drafted in the most recent first-year player draft have moved up with a lot of the hitters that were sitting in Lexington and won them that Sally League championship. So I'm very interested for anyone on the East Coast, obviously in that area, to check those guys out. I won't be there, unfortunately, but that's going to be a really fun team. Obviously, much better competition for a lot of those guys. I think a lot of them have a ton to prove. Um, Melendez with the hit tool, Nick Prada with just the all-around offensive profile, Suli with the contact, and then the pitchers obviously getting in better looks at higher higher levels and jumping up quickly is, is a great sign. So this it's funny. I, I can't imagine, Ralph, there's another team that has all of their talent consolidated at one level with the exception of like Khalil Lee, who I think most many consider as their top prospect. But man, this is like really funny to me. I wonder if there's a possibility that they like all break camp one season and it's just like a completely different turnover in terms of their 25 man. You just have like 10 new guys, 10 rookies making their debut on the same day. It would be really, really funny, obviously with those pitchers aside. But uh, Wilmington stuck out to me. Uh, Charleston River Dogs, Yankees team, they stuck out. They have Luis Gill, um, Medina, and I think a couple others who have names are escaping me up, Hesbeck Ralph, and he could get us that. And then the individual assignment that I think stuck out most was Mickey Moniak, actually. So Mickey Moniak got assigned to AA Redding in the Eastern League. He will be playing in an outfield with Cornelius Randolph and Adam Hazley. Mickey Moniak only had, actually he had 114 games last year in high A, but um, 270 average. Strikeouts were high, walks were pretty low. Not really too much impact in terms of weighted runs created plus or anything. He was a little bit below average. So um, I don't know if that's an aggressive assignment. I guess I was just a little surprised by that specifically. Um, obviously, I guess you just don't want the impression of repeating a level because he did play all of 2017 and A ball and then jumped up to high in 2018. So this is a clear track. Like he seems like he's on track for like a 2021 debut if he's in double A this year and then triple A next year. But I think the biggest thing is that they're, they're, you know, he improved a little from 2017 to 2018, but it's still not really impact in any way. And I can't really imagine that on this track they have him as like a 2021 everyday regular outfielder. Um, especially as a lefty. So maybe you get strong side platoon or something like that, but i um, very interested to see that one. But I thought that was one of the more interesting assignments. And I'm sure there's some other ones that we're still trying to figure out specifically with guys like Brian Rocchio with the Indian middle infielder. We expect him to be assigned to the Midwest league. It was Lake County. I'm not a hundred percent sure of that. I would definitely want to keep an eye on that one. And Wanda Franco as well, obviously a top prospect now that a lot of the others have been graduating uh, between Eloy and Vlad will eventually, um, he definitely jumps out. This is one, that we're not sure of again. I really hope he gets assigned to the Midwest League in Bowling Green, but there's also a chance he hops up pretty quick um, and heads to is Princeton the level above Bowling Green. I'm probably I'm not really good with my Rays system here, but uh, no, uh, that would be uh, that would be the Stone Crabs in our. Oh, there you go, there you go. Still, Princeton's the oh, low ball no. team. Yeah, yeah. But those are the two guys that were maybe Rocchio and Franco are the two we maybe expect to be held in Arizona a little longer, or Arizona and Florida respectively, a little longer and uh, maybe get those guys a little more seasoning and then start them maybe at the end of April when it's a little warmer. Um, but otherwise, uh, I'll be very interested to see. A lot of these guys in the Midwest League, obviously the Marlins are the Clinton Lumber Kings now, so we get Connor Scott and Will Banfield out here. Um, that's an interesting one. That's not too far from Chicago. So interesting baseball all around, Ralph. I don't know when the Easter League is interesting to you. I know Nevin is in A in Hartford. Excited for that. I think Redding comes in a little late, so uh, you probably won't get to look at Moniac for a bit. No, but, uh, Actually, I could get Reading uh, next week. They're uh, in New Hampshire on oh, Monday. Okay, a week from Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, plan on trying to get out to Binghamton. Uh, excuse me to see uh, Binghamton on Thursday. Maybe I'll get the, out there over the weekend as well. But uh, they'll be split up between NC State and then uh, that game. That will get me uh, Andres Jimenez, who is on that uh, on that Binghamton team. 
he's really the only like really interesting guy in that Binghamton team. But I will get Bone Moniak, I'll get Adam Hazley uh, at Reading because a couple other guys that are on that squad as well. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Erie when they do come in. That that's not going to be until a little bit later. I'll have Trenton, but I don't think I think Debbie Garcia actually Davey Garcia actually got assigned back to the Florida State League, so he's back mm-hmm. in Tampa. Uh, he is not um, back with Trenton, which w- was a hope of mine. Uh, there are a couple of more interesting arms on that team, though, as well. I'll pull that up in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had those uh, projected lineups in front of me. Okay, I'll get Dahl back. I'll get uh, Darwin's on. Hernandez will be in Portland, so that'll be fun. I'll have Hartford later in the month. <clears throat> going to be in Florida, though, so uh, I'm going to catch a little Lakeland, as I mentioned. That's an interesting rotation because – you have uh, last year's number one overall pick, Casey Mize. You have Franklin Perez, who, of course, was part of the return in the Justin Verlander trade. And uh, I think Elvin Rodriguez, who's an interesting arm uh, that I know Emily uh, Walden, our friend of the show, has talked about quite a bit as mm-hmm. well. Um, in terms of the bats, not a ton of interesting guys. I mean, all the college guys from last year. So you got Cody Clemens is in that lineup. Uh, same thing with uh, Deathridge, everybody's favorite name. Uh, Jose Ozakar is, is on that team. So a couple of interesting names there. Uh, Erie is kind of interesting. You know, you Anthony Castro, Alex Fado, Logan Shore, and I say the best for last, Matt Manning starts yes. the season in double A. That's impressive. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Catching, catching some Matt Manning once they come around this year again. Uh, that won't be too bad. You know, hitters, uh, Jake Rogers is back in double-A. Sandy, uh, Sergio Alcantara, who's not too bad, is back in, back with him. Isaac Paredes that we've talked about quite a bit. Um, it looks like um, Daz Cameron's going to start the season in triple-A, if I'm not mistaken. So he's going to start cool. the season uh, with Toledo. I know the uh, Tigers actually released all their uh, assignments. Like uh, Will Kell Hernandez is going to be up in uh, West Michigan. Um, trying to think who else is going to be West Michigan. Oh, I forgot. Of course, Wenzel Perez is going to be in West Michigan. So there'll be a guy you'll be able to check out. Yep. I think it's definitely worth uh, uh, making sure you see him. And of course, Parker Meadows is the other guy that's going to be there. Um, oh, okay. My understanding is Bo Bichette will be assigned back to New Hampshire. But, Which is kind of crazy. Well, I guess they wanted to master the level. Um I mean, Why he played have, pretty well. <laughs> he played right? pretty well, but yeah, maybe, maybe they feel like if he mashes now, they can delay him a little bit. Yeah, bring I him guess up, it helps the narrative up. of like full season at AAA. I don't know. Yeah. That seems like a weird reassignment back to AA for me, though. I don't know. It is a little strange. He 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 played pretty well. I mean, he was a twenty weighted runs created, 32 bags, 11 homers. In Eastern League, which doesn't probably inflate bats too much, I don't think, right? I think it's more, is that a neutral league in terms of uh, pitcher versus hitter favoring? Do you know? Yeah, I think it's a relatively it's neutral one. Yeah, I know Midwest League is definitely pitcher heavy. So 11 home runs in Eastern League isn't that bad, especially with some of the cold you get in the back end and front end of that. Like, I, I don't know if there's anything a guy's going to do to push himself he up. I think it's slump. what Bichette did. He had a slump for a, a big chunk of like early summer. So, okay. Eh, maybe that's it. No. Stingy Blue Jays, man. All about that service time. Just be the Padres and bring guys up and be confident you could extend them, right? Yeah. <laughs> seems to be the Padres MO. I love it. Me too. How can you not like it? Uh, any other teams you wanted to mention? Um, no, I think that I think I kind of rambled there and brought up all the ones that I was off the top of my head interested in. Obviously, we could probably do a little more of a recap once we get 
minor league games actually going and we get those solidified rosters and we can just hop around and see if yeah. there's any aggressive assignments. But for now, I got Red Sox rosters if you're interested in those. Um, Pawtucket is uh, Mike Schwarim. Um, cool. Travis Lakin starts in the pen there. Um, we, of course, know that Sandy Leone was actually optioned down in AAA. We'll see. If, I don't know if he took it or not. Uh, Josh Ockamy, um, Michael Chavez is there. Um, so that's Cole Sturgeon, who's mashed in double A, but he's old as hell. So I don't know. I mentioned Darwin's on, mm-hmm. uh, Derwin Feltman is also going to start the season in double A. Um, Oh, Nick Sandlin starting the season in double A, um, kind of jumping around here, um, with Akron, uh, Cleveland's double. He was their second or third round pick last year. The kid with all the crazy arm angles. I don't know if you know him or not. Uh, not oh, Inter- I do, I do, I do. Yep, I know what you're talking about. So this so this, uh, this Portland rotation is not bad. Denny Reyes, who's had that great uh, walk-to-BB ratio over the last couple of years. Tanner Hawk, their first-round pick from a few years ago out of Missouri, is uh, in, in that rotation as well. Bobby Dahlback, of course, C.J. Chatham. So it's some, some prospects here. I mean, you know, it's getting a little bit better to check out the Red Sox. Uh, Salem. They have Brian Mata in the rotation, Cutter Crawford, um, Zach Schellinger, who was a big uh, strike thrower at a Seton Hall a couple of years ago, swing and miss guy. Jake Thompson, who was uh, in one of the arms in that uh, Oregon State rotation a few years back when they first started this run. Um, let me see, in terms of bats, uh, uh, Jaron Duran, who was a, a draft pick, I think third or fourth rounder last year. He's not too bad. Good bat to ball guy we've talked about before. Um, and then the drive, you got Sheriff, uh, is starts, starts the season in that rotation. He's probably worth checking out. Um, Tristan Cassius starts the season, a full season ball. Nice. Uh, so we got our first look of, uh, Tristan Cassius in a professional game. Brent Hallett is also going to be there. He was a steal late, late round bonus guy. They stole away. Uh, Tyler Dearden is on that team. Nick Decker, uh, Tyler Esplin, Devin Granberg. So all their sort of, uh, even Cole Brandon, all their interesting up and coming bats seem to sort of be on the Greenville drive. So they're worth checking out. And I might, uh, it looks like as of right now, the spinners projected lineup has in, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, Anthony, uh, Flores and Danny Diaz. So Anthony Flores, Danny Diaz and Nick Northcutt. If I could see those three guys this year at Lowell, I am going to be at Lowell quite a bit. So absolutely. Yeah, anything else you wanted to add? Or you want to wrap this puppy up? What do you say? I say we wrap it, man. I don't think we have much else. All right. Excited We're for the minor league season to start. Up. Yeah. Good night. Good luck. Take care. Good week. Goodbye. You can't get much for five bucks these days, unless you go to Wendy's for a $5 biggie bag. Get your choice of double stack, junior bacon cheeseburger, or crispy chicken BLT, plus four-piece nugs, fries, and a drink, all for just five bucks. That was smooth, wasn't it? That's how you're going to feel when you get that biggie bag at Wendy's. U.S. price and participation may vary. Includes four-piece nuggets, small soft drink, and small fry. Prices may be higher in Alaska and Hawaii.